Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu, and you can find me at www.aboutsexpodcast.com or www.therapistinsaintlouis.com. Today, I am very excited because I have two people who are in the leadership team for Squish. S-Q-S-H, and I know you're here listening, so of course always my guests are listening. Um, they'll, they'll put it in further for you guys to understand, but I have Luca, the founder and project coordinator, and I have hi. Esther, a helpline volunteer and practicum student. Um, hi, hi, gang. <laughs> hi, Angela. <laughs> Glad to be with you. All right, I'm so glad you're here. Well, why don't you two start to talk to us a little bit about what you do? Tell us a little more about Squish and why you're so special. <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> Angela's like, this is your time to pitch. Okay, here we pitch, go. Pitch, give me, give me websites, all of it. Well, at least one website, but definitely pitch. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, my name is Luca. I'm a non-binary trans immigrant from Singapore. I'm a transplant to St. Louis. I've been here for four years now. Um, I really love the people in this city and in this region. So I started Squish, the St. Louis Queer Support Helpline, because I felt that peer counseling is a really amazing, empowering tool that all of us can use to support each other in our community. And that really boosts everyone's mental health and well-being, especially those of us without access to professional mental health services, which are really important and crucial, um, but are often not accessible for a lot of us, especially queer and trans-affirming therapists and counselors in St. Louis. So Squish provides free, confidential, and identity-affirming emotional support and resource referrals by and for the St. Louis queer community. We are open from Fridays to Mondays, 1 to 7 p.m., and our volunteers go through 55 hours of training in peer support, LGBTQIA cultural humility, anti-racism, housing, relationship and sexual violence, and other related topics that people might call about so that we can support college over the line um, during our opening hours. So we've been open since September 20th, 2019. We've been operating for about eight months now. And it's definitely been, I think, a learning journey for all of us in Squish, our volunteers, um, so that we can better serve our community. And Esther, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on you? Yeah, hi. So I'm a social work practicum student. I joined Squish last fall. Um, and basically what I do is a little bit more of the, the practical day-to-day things as well as take calls on the helpline. And I think that the really what's motivated myself as well as a lot of other people that volunteer for Squish is that this is a sort of hotline that we were hoping we had when we were younger. When I was coming out as trans myself, I didn't really have a lot of support. And something like Squish would have been really great to, to have there to help me along. So I'm really glad to be involved in something that hopefully for the next generation they have available that, we, like I said, we didn't have when we were growing up. All right. Now, before we get into this next conversation, I just want to stop to give us a word from our new sponsors. So I am now working with a really cool company called Let's Get Checked. You can find them at trilgc.com slash stay kinky. What's really cool about this company actually is that they're doing testosterone testing for men and hormone checks for men and women. A lot of people are struggling with hormonal imbalances and reduced testosterone levels, which really can impact your sex life. 
life. And so more and more men and women are trying to test their hormone levels to see how they're doing. One in four men over 30 are actually low in testosterone. Symptoms you might want to look at include fatigue, erectile dysfunction, low sex drive, anxiety, brain fog, even having a hard time making decisions, which is basically most of my client population. (laughs) Just teasing. But I mean, enough of you who come see me are actually really struggling with testosterone levels and your sex drive. So what's cool about this group is you can pick from either a male hormone test kit, a female hormone test kit, or an STD test kit. And what's really cool is they send it right to you in your home. You do what you need to do to take the test. And depending on what test you use, you'll either have to do a blood sample or a blood sample and a urine sample. And then you send it back and everything's completely confidential. And basically they deliver to your home, they collect your sample, they review your results for you. So depending on what happens with your test, they may provide a prescription in some cases. Usually it would only be for something like if they're treating STDs. If you do end up having something longer term like hormone therapy, then you'll likely be referred to a longer term provider. But at least you'll know where you stand. So it's really cool. Your results are available and they'll be reviewed by a physician. And then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. The Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and everything is completely anonymous. So again, that website is trylgc.com slash stay kinky and use the coupon code stay kinky to get 20% off. So, um, what do you want? What do you want people to know about Squish? Hold on, let me give a little bit of a overview for our listeners. In case you didn't know, we're going through a pandemic and kind of a I consider apocalypse right now. <laughs> so, how is the apocalypse impacting you two? <laughs> <laughs> what a question. I know, right? Mm. I I really feel like it feels like an apocalypse, like the world is falling apart. Mm. You know, there's things coming out of the sky. I'm pretty sure there was like lightning that struck somewhere. It's crazy. (laughs) 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 What's going on for you all? Mm. Esther, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think from from personal perspective, it's it's been kind of an interesting experience for me. Um, you know, it's it's something that a lot of us didn't expect to have happen. I think that's a experience that's common in the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, that a lot of the community has already been in situations where we have economic or social um, marginalizations that we're going through. And mm-hmm. for this to happen right now and to have the economic effects going on when especially trans people, trans people of color, especially are having um, already a situation where employment's not always available. Mm-hmm. And to have this added on top of it, it's been a really, a really difficult time for a lot of people. And we've been receiving a lot more input and calls from people who are just saying, I need help with the practical side of living, not just the LGBTQIA plus experience, but, you know, I just need a place to stay. I need to make sure that I can stay where I am. And that's mm-hmm. been a really big uh, challenge for a lot of the community, I would say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just thinking about that work, work somewhere on the 20% line of unemployment right now. And so of course the people who are most impacted by that are going to be marginalized communities, people who don't have a lot of access to resources. Um, what are your thoughts on what's going on right now, Luca? Mm-hmm. Um, I think when the pandemic first started um, most significantly affecting the St. Louis region, we really struggled with keeping ourselves afloat as individuals and volunteers while also keeping the helpline going. So at one point we considered 
closing the helpline temporarily or reducing our hours. And we've definitely had volunteers quit or take a break so that they can focus on their own well-being and people's capacities being stretched thin. And so I think the hardest thing about trying to run a service on um, really the like sweat and tears of volunteers is volunteering is usually the last commitment in, on people's plates. You know, there's family, friends, personal well-being, employment, etc. Um, and so for me, uh, I feel like really grateful for our volunteers who are sticking around and also really understanding of volunteers who've decided to take a step back. So I think it's kind of a miracle that we've pulled through and recruited 14 trainees into our summer training class. And hopefully once we complete the 55 hours of training for the third training class now, um, we'll be able to fill our shift schedule um, more easily. And I think not like having to not reduce our helpline hours, hopefully has been a sign of hope for our community as well. And I think sometimes it also gives our volunteers on shift a bit of a sense of purpose and normalcy um, to continue with what we were doing before. Absolutely. And something, you know, I haven't put out there yet, but I do want to put out there in pretty much every episode I do today. Um, for those of you who don't know, I like line up all these interviews in a one day and I'll just put them out every other week. <laughs> um, but basically, um, recently there was um, a, a really tough case that happened with uh, George Floyd. So um, my guess is this will be around for more than just this week, obviously. But um, the death of George Floyd kind of started a lot of um, protesting and discussions about racism, institutionalized and systemic racism, um, t topics on police brutality and, and what role basically we need to take going forward. Um, and so I'm curious, what, what has that done for Squish and how has it impacted you? And either of you can answer, by the way. You can take turns. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that, um, especially here in St. Louis, with with a lot of the movement starting with, you know, Mike Brown's murder here in St. Louis, um, mm -hmm. we've, we've really kind of found ourselves in the epicenter of a lot of the racial justice issues that are now, you know, happening in a lot of the country right now. And I think that that's something that we can't ignore um, that's going on in our community as well. And it's something that we we have to struggle with and we have to acknowledge and we have to face head on because as as we've seen in the country in the last couple of weeks, these issues have been ignored for so long. And mm -hmm. it's just gotten to a point where so many people are finally realizing that this is something that we can't ignore anymore. This is something that we have to focus on. And it's something that we also really want to focus on as Squish is not to make it just about the LGBTQIA plus experience, but all of the experiences that people have in their lives. Yeah, I would have to say, you know, I, I would imagine in the LGBTQ community, you already, I feel like there's often a, a focus on human rights and human justice because they're, you know, you're working in a population that really needs that sort of support and advocacy. But, you know, even within your community, there's, you know, this piece of like, well, we, we still need to represent everyone's human rights that are being um, harmed here. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Luca? Yeah, um, I think I will say, you know, a, a lot of conversations are framing um, the Black Lives Matter movement and protest as a current, like something that's happening right now and that something is a crisis for everyone now. But, um, but it's been around. issues of, yeah, police brutality having been around for African-American community since like really the dawn of time. And I think I think as one of the founders of Squish, um, it's a little bit annoying, I think, 
when we tried incorporating anti-racist values and anti-oppression into the work we do originally. I think, um, you know, having incorporated anti-racism trainings into a helpline trainings, I think in the past, uh, I feel like personally, I haven't gotten that much support and I felt a little bit awkward bringing it up. Like, oh, I'm always, or like a few people are always the same people talking about race or talking about other social identities in this space and um, almost feeling like we're trying to push more things onto the agenda in the, in the work we do. Uh, and now I feel like people are a lot more on board. The social and cultural atmosphere is changing and that is true within Squish as well. And in some ways I'm a little bit like annoyed in that we've always been unfortunately a predominantly white organization and from the start that's something we have needed to change and only now does it seem like people are having the energy to push towards that um, and to incorporate diversity, inclusion, and social justice values into our recruitment, training, and operations. Uh, and I guess I'm a little worried that the synergy or like the momentum would die out once this is no longer a quote unquote trendy itch issue. Um, and I have a lot of hope and faith in, I think, other Squish members who are on the same page and have similar values. Um, but I'm also worried that like, you know, we attend protests for a week, for two weeks, um, the weather gets really hot, other news happens, and it, it feels like often black communities are forgotten past, like, intense moments of scrutiny. What are your thoughts on it, Esther? Yeah, I think that, the, as Luke had mentioned, that's something that we've kind of baked into the, the Squish uh, curriculum, to so say um, that we do with training. But yeah, I, I tend to agree with Luca that it is something that has been an ongoing issue for very, very long. And it is something that we really do need to um, acknowledge that this is a fault that a lot of organizations have really had for a very long time is not being able to really discuss these issues and the effects that it has on a lot of communities. So I think that um, as I share with Luca, the concern that this will be something that is kind of put to the wayside once the immediate, um, you know, stories leave the news and the initial protests leave. I hope that that's not the case. And I think that it's something that we're really trying to focus on on an ongoing basis as Squish is, is really to make sure that this isn't just a one-time thing. This is something that we really push the community, really push the city to really face head on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I hope it does last longer. You know, I personally have struggled with just this. Um, so like, you know, I've, I've always tried to, you know, I've always tried to be aware and I pushed myself to learn and grow as a person, you know, about many issues. It's kind of why I do this podcast, right? It's one reason, but it's also why I do the work that I do, right? Because I, I want to learn and grow. And I, I'm hoping that people can take a journey here because it's, it's not just a few weeks, like you guys said. Yeah, okay, this crisis is here and it's kind of trendy now. But, you know, like to really truly face racism head on, to face these human rights and human justice issues and all of all of these communities, the LGBT community, QIA plus community. I love that because it's kind of fun. It's got a little extra at the end there. But we've got to include everyone, right? It's very important. Um, but like that's the point is that you to be in this to be kind of a social justice warrior, it's it's a lifelong journey. It's a willingness to look at this throughout your life and to look and see where your blind spots are. And I think quite a few people, what's been really challenging for me is to hear how many people really are like, oh, this seems new. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for all of my black friends, they're like, uh... <laughs> 
yeah, this isn't new. Like, mm-hmm. this has been my whole life. Like, all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you guys seeing that as well? Are you all? Esther, <laughs> mm-hmm. what do you think? Yeah, I think that what what one of the things that is is I guess a little bit concerning to me that that I think we is the next kind of hurdle that we need to go over is this idea that there are a lot of people who have had their voices in this for a very long time and that now are kind of being pushed to the background just because, like you said, it is kind of trendy. So, for instance, you see in some cases where. Um, especially white leadership, white organizations, white-led organizations are really silencing the voices of especially black leadership in this Mm -hmm. sort of movement. And I think that that's something that really should be acknowledged in a lot of this as well. Oh, wow. What do you think, Luca? Mm, I think what you said about people going on a journey resonates with me. So I feel like when in social justice circles, we often speak as if the people in these circles uh, were already there and we're talking kind of dismissively about people who are not here yet. And I feel like, at least for me, like there's still a lot of education that I need to do. And that education comes both from my self-education in terms of reading and exposing myself and then also like talking to people who know more than I do. Um, And so I feel like at this moment, what is a common uh, experience in my social circles is like the world is almost being split into people who get it and people who don't. Um, Mm -hmm. But obviously reality is a lot more nuanced than that. And so um, something I struggle with within Swish is our mission is to provide peer support to the LGBTQIA plus community, but towards that mission and align with our values. There's so many other things that we could do that I wish we had more capacity to do. So one thing, for example, is creating anti-racist learning groups for white and non-black volunteers to continue our individual unlearning and accountability. Um, And at the same time, I'm like, well, who's gonna lead that? Who at this moment, everyone seems to be stretched to capacity. Um, I really want someone to take charge of this and take ownership with this. And I feel like as a co-founder, there's a a little bit of like, founder syndrome and, and, you know, the the urge to lead everything and spearhead everything. So what I really hope to see is other people taking charge of these projects that need to happen, um, even even if they seem tangential to our mission and and they're not really tangential. You know, Luca, that's a really interesting point. And it kind of brings up something, you know, so I was thinking as we were talking, I want to make sure that we're still covering, you know, what's going on in the LGBTQIA community in addition to this, right? And I was thinking, you know, I think when we're in the social justice field, it can be, it can be hard because we care about so much, you know, like this is important. And there's a lot of issues that are important, even as a therapist. Personally, I've had to learn to hone in on like, this is my message. This is what's important to me. That doesn't mean I can't speak on these other issues. Cause I do, I do. But like, I still have to almost like remind myself every day, Angela, you've got a cause, you're doing your cause, you're working on your thing, you're just honing it. Like I read this book once that like subtle art of not giving a fuck. And one of it said, well, it was funny because one of the things it said was you need to hone your fucks. You need to like hone them in to like, this is where I have capacity and really believe in the fact that that's what you're doing and that it's valuable. And that's part of why I wanted you to to come on here is because what I see in Squish is, is valuable. So I just want to 
transition to what do you think our audience members need to know? You know, like if I actually tend to have a lot of similar minded people who listen, I'm sure. So, <laughs> but I still, you know, we're all here to learn. What do people who are listening in need to learn about like the kinds of things Squish is doing for the LGBTQIA community? Yeah, I think that for a lot of helplines like this, the perception is, is that we're here to help people work through crises um, that may be going on in their life. And I, and I just want to really uh, focus in on the, the helpline that we've set up from a peer counseling perspective is not just there for when people are in their darkest times, which unfortunately do happen a lot of time. And we, I don't want to discount that that is uh, one of the main reasons that people do call, but we're also here if you want someone to cheer you along on something that has happened in your life. We're here to talk to you, especially as we're recording this this week, we have the Supreme Court decision that um, LGBTQ employees can't be fired based on that. We want to be there for the community. Yes, <laughs> uh, we're we're very glad about that. And it feels like our country's leadership wants to change rights for the LGBTQ community, but I don't know. <laughs> go on, go on, Esther. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that I think that that's an important part of the experience of being LGBTQIA plus is that it's not. All, all the bad things as well is, is something that as a community we're bound together by a lot of very common threads and we want to be a part of also celebrating that part of people's lives as well. That's awesome. What are your thoughts, Luca? Yeah, I think um, a common question I get about Squish is, well, why not just serve everyone? And my parents ask me this. They don't really... Um, I had a really hard time coming out to them. But anyway, they you know, ask me, why don't you just serve everyone in St. Louis? Why do you need a course specific resource? And I think that answer is really apparent in the kinds of calls we get. The, call, the number of first time callers who, you know, have ch face challenges in receiving supportive, um, like a supportive listening ear when they call other helplines or get misgendered when they access other resources and who are calling Squish um, and are having a different experience. I think that speaks for itself. And then in, I think, the way that volunteers find value in this community. I think volunteers come to Squish not just to support callers, but also to support each other and receive support themselves. And so I think um, Squish is a service, but it is so much more than a service. It is also a community and a place where people can come together and achieve similar goals and share values. And also, I think even when people are not able to contribute um, work or have no capacity, they, I think, still find... Um, like solid, solidarity and, um, and comfort from within the organization. So I think, um, you know, to potential funders or potential um, donors out there, I think sometimes, you know, there's a non, the nonprofit industrial complex creeps in and um, often I think like more radical resources get less resources or less funding um, than quote unquote mainstream resources that get more publicity and I really wish that was different. Um, you know, just because we're serving a specific part of the population doesn't mean we're less valuable or need less funding. And actually, I would say it's the other way around. I'm kind of curious uh, about your perspective on that, Esther. Why do you think it's important to, instead of serving the many, serve a very specific population? What are your thoughts on that? 
I would say that that the LGBTQI plus community is one that has a lot of unique challenges. You know, we've we've mentioned before that even in the best of times, um, especially trans people, but a lot of people in the community uh, have have unique challenges that are going on in our lives. And to have uh, just a general helpline, I mean, I think that one thing that we hear from a lot of people and one thing that we hear from a lot of volunteers as well is that when we call up these general helplines, like Lucas said, it's it's a situation where you may be misgendered, you may have someone there that's prejudiced against the community, mm-hmm. and you just have even in even when you get a really good uh, person on the line at some of these helplines, it's just that there's only a certain amount that that someone from you know outside that community or outside of that that training program that, that we sort of have that really may not understand the issues and we want to be a place where people can come and know that when they get somebody on the line they're going to have someone that may not fully understand you know 100 percent because we're all different people we're all from different parts of the community but at least we'll be there to listen and to understand as best as we can Absolutely. You know, as, I, as you both were talking, I was thinking a lot about privilege, um, but not just white privilege. I know that word we've been talking about race too, but I was thinking about coming from privilege in general and the importance of people understanding the difference uh, in access to resources. So one time I was on Facebook and I, the best visual I ever saw, and this was um, comparing, you know, like males to females, but you know, whatever, like there's multiple ways that people can have privilege or not have privilege, right? But it had males and females on a track and they were all going towards their financial goals, right? And, but in front of the females tracks, I saw things like baby, like chores (laughs) and like, you know, just things that sometimes hold, hold females back in their like race towards success, right? But that, that doesn't even fully encapsulate all the different ways that one group of people can have privilege and one group of people can essentially be like drowning just to get to the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking of homelessness, for example. We know that there can be a higher level of homelessness in the LGBTQIA plus population because of lack of acceptance from parents. And it can happen at a very young age. And so as a result, like, so think of the difference between somebody who has a home seeking resources and somebody who doesn't have a home. Well, the person who has a home doesn't have to think about like, wait, where am I going to sleep tonight? How am I going to eat tonight? They already have those resources. And so it is like, it's easier for them to even have the time to do the research or like even having access to a phone or the internet. Like there are ways that people have more and less. And that's, you know, personally why I think I just wish people could see that differential better. Um, What are your thoughts on that, Luca? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think even in the graphic you pointed out, I think what I appreciate is sort of the visualization of um, like differentials, like you said, things that accumulate over time that uh, add up to inequality. I think also the graphic itself in, you know, dividing human beings into male and female, I think also uh, completely erases intersex people and also Uh to me like confuses the difference between sex and gender. So for example, Mm -hmm. for me as someone who is assigned assigned female at birth but is a trans masculine person um i don't have a plan to have a baby i'm on testosterone which would affect you know my um ability to be pregnant which i never want to be pregnant and so that does it put me on the quote-unquote male track or does it put me on the quote-unquote female track and you know if i'm being perceived as masculine that that gives me some 
masculine privileges, including being perceived as stronger, more assertive, um, more competent, um, but also as somebody who was assigned female at birth and carries some of those um, like experiences of being socialized as a woman with me, um, how does that affect which track, quote unquote, track I'm on? So I think that's actually a really great example that um, shows how mainstream graphics and resources are not inclusive of the LGBTQIA plus community. It actually goes back to the previous question about you know, why Squish <laughs> is needed and why we should serve a specific Absolutely. population. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you think about that, Esther? I appreciate the learning experiences. Yeah, I think coming from from sort of a similar but sort of a different perspective. I'm, I'm trans-feminine myself. Um, yeah, I think that, that there are a lot of conversations in in the country and around the world that, that kind of put people into boxes a lot of times. Like, for instance, the idea that as someone who was assigned male at birth, that, you know, female socialization, socialization as a woman kind of was not something that I experienced growing up. And I think that that's kind of a simplistic view of a lot of these issues, because even during those times when I was closeted, the messages I was receiving from society and from people in my life about women were still part of that socialization. Mm. And now that I'm starting to transition, that I've been in transition for a while, you know, I can't just put aside those things that I experienced before and say that they're not affecting me today. So I think that really there's a lot of conversations that kind of get oversimplified when it comes to a lot of LGBTQI plus issues. And we don't want that to be part of how we approach things here at Squish. We want it to understand the complexity and the richness of people's lives and struggles that they have. Absolutely. Do you all feel comfortable sharing a little bit about your personal stories of how you got to who you are today? Because I, I know personal stories really have an impact for people. <laughs> Would that be okay? I'm okay, Esther. Yeah, yeah I'm okay. Yep. All right, well... Um, Esther, would you like to start? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your who you are and how you came to who you are today? It's very open and broad, but personal stories make people relate, you know? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I identify as a pansexual trans woman. So I think that in that case, I was it was kind of a process of accepting multiple parts of myself, and that's not a linear journey, as, as a lot of us know. Um, when I was growing up, I didn't have a word for what it meant to be trans. I didn't even have a word for what it meant to be pansexual. Um, so these are conversations that I just didn't have in my life, especially growing up in, in rural North Carolina. I didn't, as far as I know, know any other trans person in my life. So really not even having this language is a huge barrier to, to finding yourself. And when I went to, to college in a large city in the Northeast, I kind of had that, a little bit of exposure, but I, I, you know, chill, still try to tell myself that this wasn't me, that this was something that I'm just observing from afar and it's, it's not relevant to my life. And I think that that's the point at which something like Squish would have really been helpful is, you know, just talking through what do these feelings mean? Because for me, I didn't come out as trans until 29. And that was a huge journey that I feel like for me and for a lot of people up until this point has really been an issue of just not knowing how to talk about these sorts of things. It's, it's not something that you go to school and you're seeing all these trans people in, you know, sex ed or whatever other classes that you have, you know, who, you know, what's what I, 
like I said, I had no frame of reference for any of this. And this is happening not in, you know, what people would say, oh, that that's happened, you know, many years ago. No, this was, I graduated high school in 2003. And we've been having this conversation for such a very short amount of time that there are so many people, children, teenagers, even adults that really don't, don't have this ability to just understand who they are. And I think that that's one of the, the biggest failings that we have as a society in many cases is we need to have this exposure to what it means to be you. Absolutely. Oh, I love what you said there too, because, you know, I'm learning more and more how important language is for people, like having words to describe who am I or how do I, how do I how, how do you even put it? Like, so weird story. And then I want to move on to Lucas too, of course. But like, um, you know, I was, I've, I'm raising a five-year-old and I've always heard the phrase, use your words, use your words, you know, to like help kids kind of figure out how to express their emotions. But I recently read this article about stop saying that. What if you haven't given your kids the words to speak? So what words am I supposed to speak when I can't even identify what it is? Mm. How, how do I even touch this? Does that make sense? <laughs> and so we have to give language to what's going on for people or people can't advocate for themselves and they can't feel safe. Um, did you want to say something on that, Esther, before I moved on to Luca? Because I want to make sure I'm finishing the dialogue with you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, I think that, that that also implicates a lot of other um, intersections that people have. For instance, I'm autistic. And that that's also something that they kind of made it a little bit difficult at times to really process a lot of these things. And I think that that's one thing that we also have to focus on. For instance, we know that from studies that autistic people are more likely to identify as part of the LGBTQI plus community. And that's part of the experience that a lot of people have. And I think we really need to focus on that as well, not just focusing on, you know, what does it mean to come to this realization, but also how do you process that along the way? Exactly. Uh, Luca, what's your story? Mm, first, I want to thank Esther for sharing. I'm, I'm learning new things about Esther, too, which, you know, it's, that's really cool. Even, it's you a know, cool thing I'm about a podcast. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so thank like, you, huh? Esther, for sharing. Um, uh, for me, I think I resonated a lot with the feelings of isolation and not having the language to explain what I was going through with Esther. And I think it's, you know, easy for cis had people, cisgender, heterosexual people, or, you know, people who maybe think like this whole questioning process, identity questioning, but like, it, is it a waste of time? Like, I can't relate, you know, it's not that complicated. Um, but I think, you know, growing up, I literally, you know, did not know about the LGBTQIA plus acronym. Um, and so I remember when I was 11, I found a Wikipedia page on, I think the word gay, and I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what is like, you know, I resonate with this. It's not exactly right, but I, you know, I almost felt like I was watching porn. Like I was looking it up on my computer. I was like, I hope my parents don't walk in. I was doing it very secretly. So I think you can tell from that, that I, I grew up in a very uh, queerphobic society. I had a lot of negative messages about queer people um, that I received growing up, including, you know, if you're you're going to be bullied, um, you're less than, you're not as attractive, nobody's going to want to date you, um, you know, you have to be closeted, nobody can know who you are. And I think also in some Asian societies, the huge, huge, really heavy messages, you know, you have to hide it from the rest of your family and you'll be an embarrassment. 
um, to, our, to our family. So that is something that still weighs on me today. And I think one moment that stands out to me um, in that socialization process was when I, I had a really, uh, I had a high school teacher that I respected a lot and she taught philosophy um, and I just thought she was the coolest. Like she was very, I thought she was very wise. She had the right answers about everything. She was really smart. Um, I looked up to her a lot in high school. And then I remember like she was the first adult that I came up to and she said, I don't judge you. And I said, really? And then she said, yeah, but I think it's a sin and it's unnatural. So oh. I know it's oh. really, yeah, it's real confusing, right? Cause it's like, I, <laughs> I love you, but I hate your ways. That's that approach. <laughs> yeah. And I internalized that so much. I was like, oh, like she's the arbiter of everything that's right. So, you know, she must be right. Like I can't tell anyone ever again. Oh. So that really set me back. Um, and, you know, there are, I think, a lot of those shadows from the past for me where people have been not affirming or told me that it was wrong and I should hide it and I believe them. And that really motivated me to, like, leave that country, leave Singapore and immigrate to the United States. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, like, it's just being queer is just like a fun thing. It's like choosing what clothes to wear. But for me, like, <laughs> uh, for me, it's like, oh, like, it changed my whole life course. Like, I'm in a different country i am really alienated from my family and everything i know growing up has vanished and replaced by a new a new reality because because you know there weren't any what felt like there weren't any alternatives um, yeah you know what's interesting about what you said luca mm-hmm. it's just it's it's similar to what we were talking about earlier where like sometimes a parent or a like a person will say, maybe this is just a fad. This is just a phase. They're just, they're just getting on the LGBTQIA bandwagon and Mm -hmm. eventually they'll just, you know, but like, it's not, I mean, and even to think it's fun. So I think there's a misconception there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not fun to not be who you are. Like the reality Mm -hmm. is anybody who is living a life of inauthenticity, authenticity, that's a hard word to say, (laughs) Um, but it's basically going to feel deep depression and it leads people to feel suicidal when you're not authentic. And so it, I'm not saying it, it can be very fun and positive if you have a good connection to a community that supports and loves you. Mm-hmm. But like for basic happiness, people still need to be their authentic selves, whatever mm-hmm. that authentic self is. And then in order to get to that sense of like fun or happiness, you still also have to have like that family of choice. I hear that a lot in the LGBTQIA plus community because it, it can still be pretty scary if you are out authentically, but then not supported by people around you mm. who create a safe and fun environment, but you have to have safety before you can even get to that. I'm curious what you think about that, Luca. Yeah, that really resonates with me. And I think, you know, so actually being open to different forms of gender identity and expression um, and sexuality is, is good for everyone. So I think you know, if we advocated for less, like, you know, lack of gender norms or like breaking down gender norms, that's not just good for queer people. It also helps um, cisgender men, women, and everything in between or outside of those boxes. Like everyone, I think, has more freedom to be ourselves. So 
Um, mm-hmm. I really want to challenge the notion that the, that these are niche issues, or um, only if you're queer should you care about them. Um, because gender exploration, I think, is really fun, and and you know when we make comments about what quote unquote what men should do or what women should do, I think it harms everyone because it limits everyone's options for what we can do. Absolutely, Esther, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th- I think that this also reflects itself on the way that we talk about coming out in a lot of cases, even for people in the LGBTQI plus community. There's this idea that you have this before you came out and after you came out, and there's this very, you know, strong delineation between the two. And I think that that's something that a lot of people find isn't really the the experience that they have, is that for one thing, coming out no matter what your identity is, is kind of an ongoing process for a lot of people. You know, you tell one group of people, you may be able to be safe talking about it with your friends, but not at workplaces. So I think that's one part. But I also think that one part that's kind of relevant to, to Squish specifically, um, and a lot of other cases, for instance, you know, psychotherapy, that sort of thing, is um, that we when we delineate between, you know, the before and the after, we don't focus on, okay, what was the process like? And for a lot of people, that's very traumatic. Even after you come out, you still have these memories of how people treated you, what experiences you went through, if you had any sort of, you know, very traumatic experience. And there's a lot of times where we put a shout this message, even within the community that once you come out, things will be better. And I don't want to discourage people from, you know, coming out, but I also want to really acknowledge that it's all right to feel like the process of coming out is both still ongoing and also something that's not always going to be easy after you, um, after you've come out, but really just sit with yourself, sit with people that you trust and really process what it means to be an LGBTQI plus person in this society. I really appreciate both of those perspectives. And I thank you both for sharing your personal stories because I do know it, it It means a lot to me that you can put that out there for people. So I guess we're kind of coming towards the end of the podcast. It went very fast. But I'm really, I know, I know. But um, I'm like, wow. And I'm like, ah, oh, I feel like we all could talk for a very long time. But because I have limited time frames for my podcast, I just want to ask you both, um, what's just a final thought you want to send out to anyone listening in about Squish or about, oh, it sounds like an ambulance somewhere. We'll edit that out. <laughs> but anyhow, what's just a final thought either of you want to share with my listeners about Squish or about or, or about something that's important to you that's kind of top of mind right now? Um, do you want to go first, Esther? Yeah, I think that for a lot of people, there's there's this feeling, especially when you're coming out, but even after the, the coming out process, that you're alone, that there are a lot of people that will not be affirming of you. And that's really what Squish is here to, to kind of provide, is even if you don't have anyone else in your life right now that feels safe to come out to or just discuss what's on your mind, that um, it's there's someone here that really wants you to be yourself and that really wants to understand who you are and not tell you who you are, but discuss with you, what does it mean to be you? And so as, as Luca mentioned, we're here right now, Friday to Monday, we'd hope to in the future be available, you know, it's a lot more than that from one to seven. But if you ever really want to just have someone to talk to that will listen to you 
and help you understand what it means to be you, you can always call us. The number is 314-380-7774. All right, and Luca, what's your final message? Damn, I was really impressed by Esther's pitch. <laughs> I was. It was very good. You might do the website in yours. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I guess I have two final thoughts. One is... Um, you know, I think just being really transparent as one of the co-founders of this organization, I'm really scared it's going to die out. Like, I'm really scared if I move on or if um, any of the other co-founders or leadership team members move on um, and do other things that because we're so volunteer run, um, I'm just really, you know, I think we've created something really valuable and precious here. And I don't want to see it die out. As, as long as the community still think it's valuable. So I really call for anyone who's interested in listening or know someone who's interested to join Squish, um, either as a volunteer or as someone on the leadership team. I think we need as many passionate, dedicated, and empathetic volunteers who are aligned with values of anti-oppression, um, peer counseling, peer support, and grassroots work as much as we can. And you know, I think it's so hard to start an organization, and I think it's been really stressful and sometimes isolating and i i wish that um other organizers in st louis or people wanting to start something new would be able to get more support so here's me asking for more support and asking for people more, for more people to come on board i think especially if you're not just looking for like a one-time volunteer situation or something you can do like for like two hours a week but rather something you can really commit to and dedicate time to because i think um a lot of people at least the in in the volunteers um that have come through square so far it's easy to just want to set aside like a one-time thing and then not worry about it throughout the week but i think we also need people who are able to dedicate that time to form relationships with other people in squish really understand what's going on um and be able to take a long-term role within squish so that's my first thought and then my second thought was Squish is also available for allies, friends, and family members and service providers of LGBTQIA plus people. So if you maybe want to talk about how best to support a queer person in your life or just want to talk about queer issues or are questioning, we're also available. Um, I think as a peer counseling line, we're very versatile and really just equipped to have a supportive conversation with people um, regardless of what they're calling about. So, for example, if you're a queer person who wants to call and talk about a non-queer thing, if you want to talk about what you ate for breakfast, um, if you want to talk about an upcoming protest that you're a little bit nervous about, we're available to do any of that. And what's the website? And the website is <laughs> thesquish.org. That's T-H-E-S-Q-S-H dot O-R-G. All right. Thank you, Esther. And thank you, Luca, for joining me. And you all have been listening to the About Sex podcast. You can find me at www.aboutsexpodcast.com. Or if you need therapy, it is www.therapistinstlouis.com. Stay kinky, St. Louis.